Well, I finally found the key of how not to mess up on the announcements. Let's have someone else do it. It's a beautiful day out there. Let's prepare ourselves this morning in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. And during that time, we have the opportunity to name privately to God the Father any unconfessed sins which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you've given us another day, another slice of your grace. We have the high honor and privilege to be here to feed upon your word. How great it is to know that it doesn't depend upon our IQ, our education, or our intelligence. It depends upon your grace for us to understand your mighty word. Everything in your plan depends upon who and what you are. So easy for us to forget that and think that we have a measure of control over things. We realize that you are the great I Am, the Ancient of Days, and we are here to worship you, to learn, to grow, to be prepared for what is coming. We thank you that you love us, you provide for us, and you protect us. We pray that we will grow to have proper appreciation for who and what you are. We pray that you will help us to focus this morning. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we start out a new year. I don't know what y'all are doing for the last few days, and I don't want to know. But if you're like me, most of us are still kind of recuperating from uh, the intake of food and beverage. Maybe I shouldn't have said beverage. That might be taken the wrong way. Anyhow, I have a few quotes that I thought might be interesting with regards to what we would call the New Year's. Of course, you've heard me say before, nobody really knows what time it is. All the calendars have been so uh, changed and amended and it really doesn't matter. I mean, we make a big deal about New Year's, and it gives us a chance to think, okay, this year's going to be different. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't help but laugh on that one. It's, um, <clears throat> maybe it will be. We don't know what's in store. But one, no, we, one thing we know for sure is that God is in control, and it feeds right into where we're going to pick up our Joshua study in just a moment about fear. But this is one of the... I guess this is a poem, a short poem. It's called The Clock of Life. The clock of life is wound but once, and no man has the power to stay, to say just when the hands will stop at late or early hour. Now is the only time we own to do his precious will. Do not wait until tomorrow, for the clock may then be still. All we have is today, folks. We're talking about the new year, but... God gives us a day at a time. Then we have this. Yesterday is a canceled check. Tomorrow is a promissory note. Today is the only cash you have. 
Spend it wisely. And then one more little tidbit. If you want to kill time, why not working it? Try working it to death. <laughs> I don't know who E.C. McKenzie is, but he's a wise soul. So as we think about uh, the new year coming, none of us have a crystal ball. None of us know exactly what's going to take place. But we do know that we want to face the new year with boldness and confidence, security, all those things that people want. But there's only one place to get it. And you can't get it any other way than to know the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who is omnipotent and omniscient. Fear can ruin not only today but tomorrow. Fear of what can happen tomorrow can ruin today. And that's, that's the bad part. Most of the things that we fear never even come to pass. And we, we waste our time being afraid about and dreading. Dread. Uh, mostly, I don't know about the f fear. Has, you have uh, people are timid. People are worried. People get into a panic. People dread. All these things really have to do with the same thing. It all stems from a lack of knowledge and trust in God. And so <clears throat> in our study of Joshua chapter 1, which is where we are in verse 8 and 9. Over and over we have instructions to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed. Over and over. Because he had to do something that he could not face on his own. And we're in that same boat. And so <coughs> I have a few verses here on the board that we ended last time with. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. God does not want us, nor did He design us, to be falling apart at every little thing that happens. Even the things that don't happen, people dread. Psalm 56, 3 through 4. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in thee, in God whose word I praise. In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? What's the worst that man can do to you? Well, most people think, well, they can take your life. Well, when they do that, what are they doing? They're just giving you a favor. You're out of this veil of tears. I think it's Pastor Joe Griffin that says, uh, when they, someone takes your life as a Christian, then you're just up there with uh, uh, Jackson and General Lee. You have to be a southerner, I guess. <laughs> then I have some quotes dealing with fear. Fear is that little dark room where negatives are developed. That's by Michael Pritchard. We all have that little dark room, don't we? It's so familiar to us. Negatives are developed. How easy is it to, to be negative anyway? Being negative is as easy as criticizing someone else. How easy is that? It's the easiest thing to do. And we have the wheel ruts. We have gone that way so many times that it takes God's power 
to help us be optimistic. Keep us from being cynical. Help us to stay out of that dark room. The wise man in the storm prays to God not for safety from danger, but for deliverance from fear. That's Ralph Waldo Emerson. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been so afraid that you couldn't do anything but just help? That's all you could come up with, help. I told you my shark story. This would be a good time to do it. But <laughs> For those that weren't here, I thought I was going to be eaten by a shark. And I don't know why. Every time I tell people that, they laugh. <laughs> See? Let me tell you, if you're in the water and you think a shark is about to take have you for lunch, it's not. It's very fearful. No passion so effectually robs the mind of all its power of acting and reasoning as fear. This is Edmund Burke. And you've heard me describe this in different ways. Actually, what fear is, is a lack of thinking. The emotions take over the control center of your soul, and emotions have no thought. And you know what it's like to be afraid. The adrenaline pumps your, your, your body, your blood pressure goes up, your eyes dilate, uh, you have all the uh, blood goes to your muscles so that you can either, you, you're either going to uh, flee or fight, that type of thing. You can feel these things going on. And those, that physiological phenomenon that takes place when you're in a panic has no thought. That's what we have to recognize. And it is the thinking that it, thinking under pressure is courage. Emoting under pressure is fear. And we, remember how I had a, a scads of verses that says, do not fear, fear not. Over and over we have that. And I think half the battle is when you recognize that you are afraid. Because sometimes it can happen so quickly and, and, and you can just, you're off and you're, you're off to the races. The fear has taken over recognizing it and then confessing it, recognizing who God is with his essence. He's never left you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. We had that in our first few verses here in Joshua. The promises. Even that's the promise. He'll never leave you or forsake you. One other thing before I move on is the battle is always before the battle. Remember that? I think of the, the warriors in ancient times. I, I, I love those kind of, I like uh, Braveheart. That's my kind of movie. And I, I thought, what would I do if I was on the front lines and you have about 10,000 troops on each side and they just run out in the field and clash and there's nothing but blood and gore and all the rest of it. What would you th be thinking before you, the charge. What I'm telling you is that's where the real battle is. That's where the real courage is going to show up. It's what you think before it happens. And God says, I haven't given you, given you a spirit of fear, but of courage. Fear knocked on the door. Faith answered. No one was there. We have to be willing to face whatever it is we fear straight on. 
and most of the time, nothing's there. Then uh, there's the quote, There is nothing to fear but fear itself. This was by Franklin D. Roosevelt. So fear can rob you of the coming year of whatever is coming. The Bible says we're to be so courageous, so void of fear, that when adversity comes, what are we to do? We are to not only face it with courage, when we are under adversity, we are to be thankful. You can't do this apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit. This is not our nature. Our nature is to grumble and complain and criticize and be afraid and point fingers. Take your Bibles and open to Joshua chapter 1, verse 10. Or you can see it on the board up here. Joshua chapter 1, verse 10 through 11. We're getting closer to the river crossing, but it's still a while yet. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourself, for within three days you are going to cross the Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess it. Three days. Joshua had received encouragement and instructions from the Lord, and it was time to make preparations to move out. He used the proper chain of command, using officers to carry out his orders to inform the people what to do and to see that they did it. Now, here's the thing. There are different kind of personalities. There are some personalities that plan and they go down to the nth degree. They wouldn't even think of cleaning out the garage unless they had a three-page uh, schedule or way to do it. And, and, there, and there's nothing wrong with that. They're, they're planners. But there are some people that that's all they do is plan. They don't ever pull the trigger. They don't ever move out. Now, I'm just the opposite. You can ask my wife. When I'm going to do something, sometimes there's not, many, there's not much planning. Planning takes time. I'm too busy to plan. Let's get it done. <laughs> oh, boy. Are you a list maker? See, I'm not a list maker. I'm too smart for that. I keep it all up here in my head. <laughs> planning is good. But sometimes there's a time when the plan has to stop and the action has to start. Now, I'm saying this, and I can't even relate to it, but I know that there's people out there who are planners. I'm, you know, I'm a midstream planner. You know, some people have, uh, I think the planners are the ones you go into their tool room, if you have a tool room. I have a friend that has a tool room, and I go in there, I've taken pictures of it before. He's got a zillion tools, and everything is just, just perfect. There's not even dust on his tool thing. And all, he's got all of them graduated on size, wherever it is. I don't want any of you ever to see my tool room. Some of them seen it. <laughs> My scheme is open the door and toss it in a general direction. 
I don't have time to put it where it goes. I'm too busy. Of course, next time I need it, <laughs> where's George? <laughs> I spend more time looking for tools than I do building usually. I don't know if, if a plant, have you ever had, see, I have a, a, a tape on my side, a, a measuring tape. And someone's talking to me. I said, yeah, yeah, I understand. I'll put it down here and then I go over here. Uh, one minute later, I'll need that tape. It didn't register. When I put it down, I was talking. It didn't, it didn't ever. And then I'll spend the next 30 minutes going around. I can't find it and accusing everyone that they took it. And why can't we be more organized? <laughs> well, you've got to get the gist. This is hard for me to teach because I don't relate to this, just the planning part. I'm ready to pull the trigger and I don't even know where the target is yet. <laughs> it was impossible to address by natural means crossing this river. Joshua's situation at the Jordan was very similar to the one of Moses at the Red Sea. Both faced uh, what appeared to be an insurmountable problems with water. Remember, at one time, the Israelites didn't have any water, didn't have enough water, and they complained about that. God, in a sense of humor, you want water? Here's the Red Sea. You got the whole deal there. Of course, you have mountains on each side, and here the Pharaoh's chariots were closing in. Now, that would be a time to faith rest. That's a time that we would normally hit the panic button. But what we have here is what we, we are going to see with Joshua also. What did Moses say? He stood, he stood on the rock. He said, Stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. Wouldn't you like to, you know, Cecil, Cecil build the... B. DeMille just can't, can't probably get what there was probably at 2 million people there. It's hard to stand still when you're under pressure, isn't it? So it was, imp it was impossible to dress by natural means, so they had to have an implicit trust and absolute dependence on God because there was no human solution to the problem that they were facing. Here's a quote from... Uh, I don't want to say it, but this is what it says. A woman's study Bible. I didn't know there was a woman's study Bible. I thought the Bible was the Bible. But in any case, it says, The crossing of the Jordan was considered the first step of the campaign, according to Deuteronomy 32, 47, Joshua 3, 10 through 13. Although normally not very wide, this close to the Jericho, to Jericho, but at flood stage, the river could have been a mile wide. That's what they were facing. And I would say a, a, a river a mile wide. Well, let's say this might be a little exaggerating. Let's just say it's a half a mile wide. And the commander-in-chief comes and says, you have three days, get ready, we're crossing. And about the provisions, uh, let me drop down to the provisions here. Israel's ownership of the land is, well, no, that's not where it is. I'll just tell you what it is. Um, he tells them to get provisions. And the word for provisions means food, victuals, libations, you know, things that you're going to need to eat and drink as you get to the other side. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this, but put yourself in their position for a moment. You see the river. I mean, you can't miss it. And he says, in three days, uh, make preparations, get the food that you need, because we're moving out. We're crossing the river. Wouldn't you think, 
he said, get the food that you need. Okay, I can understand the food, but where's the pontoons? Where's the rafts? Where's the bridge? Where's the boat? Something. He just said, we're moving out. And he said, get some food ready. Wouldn't that make you kind of pause? Provisions, I want to make sure you understand, provision here is just food. It's not, you can't even get an inner tube. Nothing. Just get the food. There was no visible way of getting over it, at least not at this place at this time when all the banks were overflown. This is in Joshua chapter 3, verse 15, that it says it had flooded its banks. <laughs> now, God's timing is not like our timing, is it? Wouldn't you be wondering? Because it's probably three times its size. And Joshua is saying, get ready, we're crossing in three days. Uh, couldn't we wait a few months? I mean, surely, and maybe a couple of weeks, maybe it'll go down some. And sometimes, isn't it what, like, what life is like for us? I mean, we're required to do something when it's at the absolute worst time. You know what that's like. It's kind of like Murphy's Law. You know, whatever it is, it happens at the worst time. I've always said, and I've had a problem with time. I've always had a problem with time. <laughs> what are you going to do about that? But anyway... I'm always looking at the clock. I'm fighting the clock. And it seems like if something's going to happen that is of, of uh, the uh, adversarial type, if there's a problem or trouble, how often does it hap happen at the very worst time? Had a, we had some people coming in from Dallas one time, hadn't seen in a long time, had everything going just, just fine, and when they got there, uh, the, the, the wife wanted to go up and take a bath. We have a big uh, clawfoot bathtub in there. Guess what? The water heater decided to go out then. There's nothing but cold water, and of course it's on a Saturday, a holiday, you can't get anything, and so there I am. And well, there she was. <laughs> uh, I guess she got the worst of it, but I, I think I did because I was gnashing. Why does it have to happen now? Well, weren't they saying that? Why do we have to cross now? Can't we wait? But what's the deal here? Now, I know I'm reading behind the lines, but I do know human nature. They had to be coming up with these type of ideas. He had no pontoons or bridge or boats by which to convey them over, and yet he must believe that God who ordered them over would open a way for them. Now, here's the thing, and don't miss this part. Anything that God commands you to do, He will give you the resources of whatever is necessary to do it. And sometimes you're going to be called on to do things that you think, well, it's impossible. And it is impossible under your own power. There's nothing impossible with God when it comes to being able to do something. They're about to go over and take the promised land. It says here, to possess it. But there's just one little obstacle before they get going. A river a mile wide. You know, we don't have a reference for this in our day and our, uh, day in our time. Right down the road is the Brazos River. We cross it going probably 70, 80 miles an hour. Whoop, oh, yeah, that was a river. Right on our way. But for people in this time, 
Even 100 years ago, 150 years ago, cross, going across the country and rivers were a real impediment. A lot of people didn't even know how to swim. So this was a big deal. Israel's ownership of the land is unconditional, but Israel's possession of it is conditional. You got that? It was their land. God gave it to them. But they had to do something. They had to cross the river and take care of the giants on the other side. Israel had to take the land, but before they could, they had to cross the river. The only thing that they were commanded to prepare was food. And here you have tada, victuals, provision, meat, venison, provisions, food. That's the definition of that Hebrew word. Notice that Joshua did not say we are going to try to cross this Jordan and possess the land. He was absolutely dogmatic based on God's word. Now, if you ever want to be dogmatic, and some people, they love to be dogmatic. But you can be dogmatic even in the face of something that appears to be impossible when you know it's coming from the Lord. If somebody asks you, when you die, do you think you go to heaven? That's the time to be dogmatic. That's the time to say absolutely, unequivocally, unquestionably, as dogmatically as I can say, yes, I am going to heaven. Now, you say that in our society today, in our culture, people, oh, well, don't you think pretty much of yourself, don't you? Kind of conceited, aren't you? Of course, it's not based on anything about you. It's based on God's grace and His power. This is a way that you can underline with yellow highlight something by being dogmatic about it. So he didn't say we're going to try to. Why didn't he say we're going to? He said we're going to do it. Because it wasn't dependent upon him. It was dependent upon God. He believed God is going to happen. We're going to do it. When you say, I, I try to teach my daughter this. I think I was pretty successful. And I would tell her to do something. She said, well, I'll try. I said, don't try. Do it. Okay, I'll try. No, don't try. Do it. Have you ever done that? Sometimes it works. Now we have verses 12 through 15. And to the Reubenites and to the Gadites and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God gives you rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your children, uh, your, excuse me, your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but you shall, but you shall cross before your brothers in battle array all your valiant warriors, and shall help them until the Lord gives your brothers rest, and he gives you, and they also, <clears throat> as he gives you, and they also, possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them, then you shall return to your own land and possess that which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan towards the sunrise. Now, what is that all about? Well, I think this is a, um, a time I can show you a map that might uh, 
clarify some of this. Here is the, well, that didn't get as big as I thought it was going to be. Anyway, uh, the land was divided into the 12 tribes when they went into the land of Canaan. Here's the Dead Sea. The Jordan River goes right up through here. They were right around here when they were going to cross the river and go into Canaan, the promised land. And yet you see two and a half tribes. You have Reuben and Gad and Manasseh. Manasseh had land on both sides of the Jordan. And what you have are these three tribes had a lot of cattle. And the land over here was very conducive to raising cattle. And so they go to Moses and they said, look, can we get the land over here? Because this is, this is going to be best for uh, us raising cattle and so forth. And so uh, Moses says, yes, you can. However you're still going to have to cross the river and battle, do battle with all the heathens over here. And until this land is conquered, then you can go back and possess the land that you want here. That's what that verse was talking about because they wanted this land over on this side. And so Moses is going to agree to it, but it, he was very serious about this. You're not going to just let all your brothers go over here and fight these people and you stay on this side and not have to, to join them. So they were going to do that. And there's something that was very, I think it, we can learn a few points about this, what, what was going on here. If you turn to Numbers chapter 32, turn to Numbers chapter 32. And we have an account of this. We'll just pick it up at verse 20. Numbers chapter 32 and verse 20. You can read, if you want to get more information on it, you can read the entire chapter of uh, verse, I mean of chapter 32 and it'll give you uh, more information. But what we want to focus on is verse 20 through 23. After they had asked Moses about this, he said, Verse 20, so Moses said to them, if you will do this, that means if you will go across and fight with your brothers to secure the land on the other side, if you do this, if you will arm yourselves before the Lord for the war, and all of, you armed, all of your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven his enemies out from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you shall return and be free of obligation towards the Lord and towards Israel, and this land shall be yours for a possession before the Lord. Look at verse 21. You might have missed this. And all of your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord 
until He, capital H, the Lord, has driven the enemies out from before Him. Now, I want you to underline that because you can't miss that part. It is the Lord that was going to drive them out. All they had to do was be obedient and move out. It was the Lord that got them across the river. It was the Lord that was going to give them victory on the other side of the river with all of the, the armies there. There were a lot more people there. The, the armies were larger, both in number and in size. And yet they had no fear because they believed what he said. See how you can just go right past that? That's, that's, let me ask you something. Do you want the Lord to fight your battles for you? I believe you do. What do you have to do in order for the Lord to fight your battles for you? Yeah, well, all those are good. First of all, you have to trust Him, and if you trust Him, then you're going to move out. In other words, what you have to do is the song that we sang this morning. Remember? Trust and obey. When you trust and obey, guess what's going to happen? The Lord fights your battle. Now, a lot of people think, well, I've got the trusting part done, but I'm a little shy on the obeying part. And we're not talking about just obeying the Ten Commandments. We're talking about obeying commandments like assemble yourselves together for the study of God's Word. We're talking about the command to grow in grace and knowledge in the, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're talking about the command to be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you to anyone who comes by. The hope means, meaning there the confidence. We have tons of commands. And if you want the Lord to fight your battles, you have to trust Him and you have to obey. If you don't trust Him and you don't obey, the Lord says, okay, have at it. There they are. There's a river. There's a giant. Have at it. Well, you know what would happen? They'd never get across the river. Most less get to the giant. There's a lot there. I want you to make sure. Put a, put a little star there. Moses is telling them, He's saying, you want, you want the, the, the land on this side of the river? Fine. But you're going to go across. You're going to cross. They were going to cross. Look, so Moses said to them, if you will do this, if you will arm yourselves before the Lord for the war, and all of your armed men, what? Cross over. They had to move out first. That's obedience. They're not even getting to the battle unless, first of all, they're obedient and cross over. Cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven his enemies out from before him. He has driven out the enemies. Don't miss that. And after the land is subdued, then they could go back to their land on the other side of the river. Now, verse 23. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Now, I want you to underline that part, too. That's verse 23. In other words, if you don't obey me, if they said, well, we'll let our brothers go over there and fight the giants and we'll just sit back here, and that's the smart thing to do. But the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. 
You hiding any sin? Huh? You think the Lord isn't going to find... That sin is going to find you out. Whatever it is. In time. And the more you try to hide it, and the longer you try to hide it, the more embarrassing it's going to be when it finds you out. And it will find you. You can't hide sin from God. And he's saying this is a sin. Failure to obey him is a sin. And it'll find you out. When I was a youngster, I didn't know all about, about these things. And up until I was about, I'm, I'm talking about 9, 10, 11, long in that time. And I lived in fear constantly because I did so many sins, I was afraid I was going to be found out. And I didn't know when. And it wasn't pleasant when my sin was found out, according to Charles Kenneth Smith, the third. Now that was in a physical sense. But how many people play that game today? <laughs> I got by with that one. <laughs> Nobody found out. Put a star by that one too. Your sin's going to find you out. It's just a matter of time. Why would you want to hide it when all you have to do is confess it and it's removed as far as the east is from the west? Well, I don't want to confess it because God then will know and I might get desperate. So the smart thing is try to hide it <laughs> to an omniscient God. Okay, so there, this whole chapter is great, but we're not going to look at all of it. I want you to have those two things underlined. In verse 21, it is he, until the Lord has driven his enemies out before him. The Lord's doing it, but they had to be, they had to trust and obey. And then in verse 23, your sin is going to find you out for sure. You know, I have heard that before about your sins finding you out, but I didn't know that it was there. Have any of you ever heard that before? Your sins will find you out? <laughs> what we have here in the notes now is just what I was telling you about. Um, the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe Manasseh located on the east side. It was more suitable. Um, then they could return to the east side and possess the land. According to verse 14, the warriors of these tribes would be the shock troops that crossed the Jordan first to engage the enemy. <laughs> I like that. You said, see, they want a special favor from Moses. Can we have the land on this side? I th don't you think that was a bit audacious anyway? God said, here's the land on this side of the river. Yeah, but, you know, we've got a lot of grass over here. Can we have it over here? And it's always amazing how flexible God is a, a lot of times. I mean, it seemed like that would be an insult. But Moses says, okay, but you're going to go across. Oh, and one other thing. You're going to be the first ones across. <laughs> you still want that land over there? They were the shock. They were the first ones to go across. And rightly so. So according to Joshua 4.13, there were only about 40,000 men belonging to the two tribes and, uh, and a half, half tribe, 
who crossed the Jordan to take part in the war, whereas according to Numbers 26, 7, 18, and 34, there were 110,000 men in these tribes who were capable of bearing arms so that 70,000 must have remained behind uh, for the protection of women and children and the flocks and the herds and to defend the land of which they had taken possession. This was from the commentary on Old Testament from Kyle and Dalich. So they were smart. They left enough troops behind to protect their families and take care of business. In, in 1 Samuel, when I was teaching the David series, David forgot that one time. And he left and left the families and everybody unprotected. I think it was Zik, Ziklag. And when he, when he went back, everything was decimated. All the women, all the wives and children had been uh, kidnapped. They took them and everything was burned. And you know what all the guys did? Boo-hoo. They were, they were, including David, they were all just crying. And, I mean, wouldn't that be if you came home from a campaign and your house was burned and all your family was gone? But then David remembered the Lord. In other words, he remembered God. And he stood up and he said, Quit crying. Let's move out. And they said, Where? What direction? You know what? He said, We're going to move. The Lord's going to show us. And that's the kind of leader you want to follow. And that's one of the verses that I was going to get to that I won't this morning, but it has to do with leaders being bold and courageous. If the leaders are not bold and courageous, what are the people going to do? What are the followers going to do? Decisive. Some leaders say, well, I'm afraid I'm going to make the wrong decision. Sometimes it's better to make the wrong decision than no decision. In some hymns, crossing the Jordan is likened to death and the land of Canaan pictures heaven. But there's a conflict in Canaan whereas there is no conflict in heaven. Actually, the land of Canaan pictures our present spiritual inheritance. This is very important. They had to cross the river. It was their spiritual inheritance. It's ours, as you'll see. It is all ours, but the spiritual inheritance, but we must possess it by obeying the word, claiming the promises, and fighting the good fight of faith. Now, what this is saying is we're looking at a physical historical account that we can learn things from. But if we can't apply it in our lives, what good is it? They, God had something for them. The land that was flowing with milk and honey. It was a wonderful land. But they had to trust Him. They had to obey Him. They had to move out in order to possess it. Everyone here, every believer, has a spiritual inheritance. It is a spiritual life that is unlike any life that has ever been lived before or after in our dispensation, our church age. It's there for you. Some of you are spiritually advanced enough to know that God has made available to every believer not only logistical grace, the get-by grace, but super grace. There are privileges and opportunities and rewards and decorations and things that God has already prepared for every believer. It's there for them. Just like the land of Canaan was there for the Jews to cross and take possession of it. It, it was theirs. You have a spiritual inheritance. You have a dynamic spiritual life that has super abundant grace blessings that are so wonderful you can't even 
can't even fathom how great they are. And they're specially designed and customized by God for you, not anybody else. And it's there. The only thing is you have to take possession of it. Just like the Jews had to cross the river and take possession of that land. How do you take possession of it? Trust and obey. You will never possess it if you don't know it's there. If you remain in spiritual ignorance, your spiritual inheritance will always, it's there. Uh, it's possible that in heaven, I've heard this, now I can't explain it probably to, uh, in a way that you maybe will be able to absorb it. Your spiritual heritage is already in the spiritual rewards and decor, all the great things God has already created. He's put them in escrow. They're just hold, they're in, a, they're in some compartment somewhere waiting for you to trust and obey so he can let you possess it. Very few people possess the spiritual life that God has given them. It's your inheritance. It's for you. And the great thing is that these, this, this inheritance... This, these spiritual blessings that I'm talking about, the spiritual inheritance, just doesn't last for this little puny time that we're on earth, but for all eternity. We're preparing for what's next. And if you don't start realizing some of these spiritual blessings and some of that inheritance now, if you're not possessing it now, then you're going to forfeit it in eternity. Oh, you'll be in heaven, but you're going to forfeit something that's so valuable. So we don't want to miss this. Go back, look at uh, Joshua again in our verse. Joshua chapter 1. And verse 11. Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourself for... Within three days, you're going to cross the Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess it. Twice it's talking about possessing it. If they had never crossed the Jordan and taken the land, it would still have been their land. God gave it to them. But they had to do something to possess it. It's the same thing in the spiritual life. We have this spiritual inheritance. The spiritual dynamics of the church age is astounding. But the only way that you're going to possess it is to do something, and to do something is to obey the commands, and the command is grow up spiritually. We have another year. Everybody says, well, we're starting another year. If you don't understand that there's a possession for you, an inheritance, it's there, but you've got to do something to possess it, then this year is going to be like every other year. And everybody that has been afraid in the years before, if you don't have these spiritual dynamics circulating in your stream of consciousness, if you don't know God's Word, if you don't know doctrine, you're not applying it, then this year is going to be like every other year, only worse. But you can have confidence. Wouldn't you like to have the confidence that Joshua's had? He's telling the people, get ready, pack up, we're moving out. And everybody looks at the river and he says, 
He said, get food? Is that what he said? He said, food, that's all? Wait till we get to where they're going to actually cross. The ark is going to go out first. The ark, and it's out of, far enough to where everyone can see it. And the priests are carrying the ark, and they walk right up to the river's edge. And you know what, you know what they were told to do? Keep walking. Just keep, don't stop. If you trust the Lord, keep walking. And guess what happened when they kept walking? They crossed on dry ground. A lot of people don't know that there was another deal like the Red Sea at the Jordan. But if they had not obeyed and, and, and went through the particulars that God told them, getting ready here and taking the ark and having it go through the, uh, through the camp where everyone could see the ark, who had to be trusting the most? The guys carrying the ark, huh? I mean, here they're, they're carrying the ark and they're going through the camp and, hey, hey, everybody's clapping and everything. They're getting closer and closer to the water. And they go, I don't know if it got heavier or what. But it shows God's faithfulness. Something humanly impossible to cross this river. No pontoons, no bridges, no anything. And this is recorded, recorded for our benefit. What's your river? You got a river? Is there something between you and what you would really like? I know what you would really like. is something we all want. We all want to have confidence. We all want to have courage. We all want to have security, free from fear. You don't ever have to be afraid again. Chances are something's going to startle you, make you afraid or whatever. It's no problem. Father, you said for me not to fear. I was afraid because I wasn't trusting you, so I'm confessing it. Boom, it's forgotten. Let's move on. Isn't this great? These illustrations, they're for our benefit. I think I'll, I'll, I'll save uh, verses 16 through 18. I don't want to stop. But what did I tell you earlier? I'm always fighting the clock. At this time, I'd like everyone, please, to bow your heads. Everyone, bow your heads. Well, we're facing a new year. And chances are things are going to get worse, maybe even much worse. Some may be afraid of financial issues. It may be health issues. Someone here might be still afraid of death. It's really not necessary. In fact, we're commanded not to have those. But you can't do it on your own. Someone might even be afraid that when they die, they might not wind up in heaven. Well, this is your day. The best news you'll ever hear is that Jesus Christ the Son of God went to the cross and He died both physically and spiritually for your sins. And He said, it's finished. It's over. It's done. Your sins cannot separate you from God anymore. He died, He was buried, and He rose on the third day. We serve a living God. And now He offers eternal life 
to anyone who will trust Him and Him alone for it. It's not about you and your works. It's about Christ and His work, His finished work. And you can make that decision right now. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, walk an aisle, or do anything. This is a personal matter between you and the Lord. He knows what you're thinking right now. And you can be convinced that what I'm saying is true. And if you have not done that before, in that moment you're born again, your ticket to heaven is guaranteed. Now it's an issue of trust and obey. Grow up spiritually. Having that confidence and hope for things that are so wonderful that we can't even imagine what God has for those who love Him. And for the rest of us who are already believers... What a wonderful thing it is to be free from fear. Cast your burdens on the Lord. Leave them there and watch Him fight your battles for you. Father, we're so thankful that You are the Almighty, the omniscient, omnipotent, full of grace and mercy. That You love us. You protect us. Provide for us. And in this coming year, we all, nothing that Satan can do, even though we're in his territory, is more powerful than who is in us and the mighty Word of God. So we pray that you will help us to remember these things and to continue to give you praise and glory where it is richly deserved. And we pray this in the name that is above all names, Jesus Christ our Lord and only Savior. Amen.